everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. For those of you in the U.S., I hope you had a great Thanksgiving last week, and uh, we've got another great show for you this week. We're going to be talking with Dr. Andy Yen, who's uh, the CEO of Proton Mail. We talked to him earlier this year about secure email, but we've got some new services uh, to talk about and some new aspects to talk about for secure email. And if you missed that show, well, then this, this show is going to catch you up. Uh, before we do that, I got just a little bit of time. I want to talk about a couple of news items, then we'll get to our interview. And uh, finally, at the very end, I've got a great little simple tip for you that will help uh, help make your web browsing more secure. First up, I'd like to talk about web tracking and a recent um, recent disclosure from researchers at Princeton University uh, about how multiple popular websites, hundreds of them, uh, are doing some pretty extensive tracking of everything you do on their website. And uh, let me just uh, read a little quote here from the Hacker News uh, article. It says, quote, Researchers from Princeton University's Center for Information Technology Policy uh, analyzed the Alexa top 50,000 websites in the world and found that 482 sites, many of which are high profile, are using a new web tracking technique to track every move of their users. Dubbed Session Replay, the technique is used even by the most popular websites, including The Guardian, Reuters, Samsung, Al Jazeera, VK, Adobe, Microsoft, and WordPress to record every single movement a visitor does while navigating a web page. And this incredibly sensitive data is then sent off to third party for analysis, unquote. So let's unpack that a little bit. Um, basically what's going on is, again, because the web is quote unquote free and, and that means that most of these websites are turning to advertising and marketing to pay for their, uh, to pay for their web services through advertising, uh, are trying to find out as much about you as is humanly possible to better serve ads to you and get you to buy things, or at least go look at content and get, uh, get payments for their, the people requesting people to drive traffic to their websites. So to do this, they are coming up with more and more ways to monitor everything that you do when you go to a diff to a webpage. So to give you an example, uh, you go to a web page and you start filling out a form, even though you never click the submit button. Let's say you start filling out a form and you start filling in your information because you're like, OK, I'll sign up for their newsletter or, you know, I want to download this free product. And because of that, I need to fill out some information. I start filling it out and I'm like, you know what, this is really getting too personal. This is not worth it. Or this is, you know, this form is getting a little crazy. I, I don't need to give them all this information. I'm, I'm just going to back out and stop. Just because you didn't actually submit the form and click the button to send that information doesn't mean they didn't take the information. Uh, and a lot of websites now are actually monitoring all your keystrokes and everything you fill in those forms. And even if you didn't submit the form, they're still taking the data. That's one example. Another example is uh, they want to find out, you know, how you traverse their web page, how far you scrolled down, where you stopped, where you kind of maybe hovered your mouse, maybe you thought about clicking on something. They could track your mouse movements uh, and figure out where you went on the page and how far you scrolled down and um, maybe how long you were looking at one certain part of the page. And this is important for them. And they can actually record this to the point where later they can go back and replay that, which is why they call this um, session replay um, and, and kind of watch kind of in record what you did and then go back and watch what you did to, to learn more about how you interact with the website. Now, a lot of this, a lot of this information is just anonymized and they just kind of want to know generically how people are interacting with the website. But in a lot of cases, they want to know specifically more about you uh, so they can start targeting ads to you. So what do you do about this? Um, if you use a plugin like uBlock Origin uh, and anything based off what's called EasyList, uh, AdBlock Plus, I believe is another one. 
these these privacy plugins for your browser, which I recommended a couple shows ago, um, will help to block these things so that they can't track you when you're on these websites. That's probably your primary um, your primary response to things like this. If you don't want to be tracked, installed uBlock Origin. Uh, it's a great little plugin for helping your privacy, uh, and it will keep these websites from being able to track everything you do. This is just a fact of life. This is the way things are now. And as, until we figure out some other way to pay these people money, uh, our privacy is really what we're what we're spending uh, for these free websites. One more story I want to cover this week, and it's really a huge story, and I probably need to spend a lot more time on it, um, is the Intel Management Engine. Uh, this is something uh, that is basically a computer within a computer. The Intel chips, like almost I think all the Intel chips that have been created in the last eight years uh, that go into your computer, these are the brains of your computer, and that includes uh, both uh, Windows PCs and uh, Apple Macintosh computers as well. Apple switched to Intel chips a, a while back. Um, have these Intel chips in them, these these brains. And in order to let big companies in particular uh, manage all these machines, they put in basically a, a back door. They've got this management engine, this special chip within a chip that's always on, even if the computer's not even booted. As long as it's plugged into power and is on the network, an administrator with the right access can can get into these computers and tweak them. Normally, this is the case where your IT department is out there trying to make sure all your computers are up to date and things like that. But the problem with this is, is it's a very secretive little chip and that Intel's been very quiet about, but it turns out there's some serious security flaws in these things uh, that would basically now let hackers do the same thing remotely. And, the, and they could hack your system to the point where you can't even, no antivirus could possibly detect it because it's kind of at a low, it's at the lowest possible level. So this has been really just a horrible, horrible bug uh, and something that Intel has been warning people about. If you have a, a computer made in the last eight years and you have not registered that with the manufacturer of that computer, I would go ahead and do that right now um, and then go to their website and look and see uh, if there are any warnings for your particular model, which at this point there probably are. And, and get their advice on how to update your computer software to fix these bugs, because this is these are horrible, horrible bugs. Now, if you happen to be an Apple user, from everything I've read, uh, Apple does not have this particular technology enabled by default in their chips. Uh, so from everything I've read, Apple computers are still safe. But uh, stay tuned. We may find out that that's not quite the case. Uh, but from everything I know so far, if you've got an Apple, you're okay. But if you've got you know an Acer, a Dell, Fujitsu, HP, Lenovo, Panasonic... Uh, any of these popular uh, computer brands, really just any any modern computer with Intel chip, uh, you could be at risk for this. Um, some of the some of the risks have to do with physical access to the computer. So if the, if someone doesn't actually can sit down by your computer, then they then then they can't they might not be able to exercise all these bugs. But some of these bugs are remote as well, meaning that even just over the internet, that's possible someone could could get in. Regardless, you've got to get these things patched, and the, the various manufacturers are coming out with, with fixes for these. So stay tuned, and when they come out, pay attention to how to get those installed and get your computer updated so you'll be safe. This was, this was a really, really bad bug. All right, now let's go talk to Dr. Andy N from ProtonMail. Let's learn some more about why you need secure email. All right, and today we welcome back Dr. Andy Yen, who is the CEO and the co-founder of the Swiss-based secure email provider uh, ProtonMail. We spoke with Dr. Yen earlier this year about email and uh, why we should be treating email more like postcard than sealed letters. 
So for the benefit of these, uh, the people that may have missed that show or may have forgotten, um, could you just kind of briefly, you know, give us a recap of how does email work and, and why is it just inherently insecure as it stands mostly? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, email, as you know, is based off the SMTP protocol. And this is a protocol that was created in the mid-80s, uh, mostly to share uh, scientific data, you know, between uh, researchers. Uh, and if you go back to you know, email's early days, uh, back then the internet was a much more simple place. Um, you didn't have things like e-banking. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of sensitive data that was being transferred uh, across the internet. Uh, so as a result, the fundamental email protocol uh, was not really built with the security in mind. Uh, and uh, the, you know, kind of what has happened because of that is, you know, we've obviously the internet has evolved uh, since 19, 1980s. Uh, but email is still using more or less the same protocol. Uh, and this protocol uh, natively doesn't really support a lot of encryption, uh, which means that a lot of times, uh, you know, any email provider uh, or any you know, ISP even that is handling email traffic can actually uh, see the contents of the emails. So there's actually, there's, so there's two levels of encryption. So there's like what we call data at rest and data in motion, right? So... Uh, and there's both those aspects come into play here. How what's the difference between those two, and and how does that affect? Because I, for instance, most of our most of our encryptions today, like for your 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 connection to Google when you're doing your email through the web, is itself encrypted, but the 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 contents are not right. So how how does that play into this? Well, there's actually two sorts of encryption here. It's not really encryption at rest and encryption in transit. That's the uh, relevant concept. Uh, but there's you know standard encryption. Uh, and there's also the concept of end-to-end uh, -end encryption. Uh, so if you're sending an email, let's say, through Gmail, uh, indeed, there is a layer of encryption uh, that you know, protects the data between uh, you know, your machine and Google's servers. Uh, but this is just encryption and not end-to-end -end encryption. Uh, and what this means is that uh, Gmail, as an email provider, actually has access and ability uh, to read every single one of your messages. Uh, and if you think about the sensitive data, that you may have in your email, uh, that's actually quite scary to give Google uh, and by extension the NSA and any other <laughs> third party comes um, asking, uh, you know, access to all that information. Uh, what end-to-end -end encryption does is it protects your emails uh, from being accessed by the email provider or any third parties that may come looking. Uh, and this is done by encrypting the data in a way that actually you, know, you are the only person that has the ability to decrypt that data and not even the provider uh, has the ability to do that decryption, right? And I, and I know that some people, you know, when they when they hear things like that, are like, "Oh well, we should just always do end-to-end -end encryption. Why why wouldn't we do that?" And I do know that you know, for instance, there are things that the the email provider would like to do for you, like be able to search your email. So if you would if you go to gmail.com and and you say, "Oh, show me all the emails I sent to uh, I said where I said these words or where I mentioned this topic," if the emails are encrypted, that actually prevents them from doing that. So there actually are some non nefarious. Not for various reasons why your email might not be encrypted, but uh, yes, of course. Yeah, the, the flip, go ahead. Yeah, but of course, but uh, that's actually not also um, entirely true because you know um, you can do search. Um, you just have to do search uh, locally, uh, you know, on the device itself, right. versus doing search on the server. So it's not that searching email is not possible with end encryption. Uh, you know, it definitely is possible, um, but you know, it's it requires it to be done locally. I think the key thing that you know prevents uh, Gmail and other providers, you know, from really taking the extra step to do end-to-end -end encryption is you know not just that it's technically difficult, um, but because their entire business 
uh, is based off of advertising. And it's really in their incentive to know about you as much as possible because uh, they need your data because that's ultimately what they're selling and packaging uh, to their customers who in fact are you know, advertisers and not their users. Right. Uh, and you know, this, is, this of course creates a very, very strong uh, you know, incentive to invade your privacy uh, because effectively that's, that's how they make money. Exactly. So, and for it, so that brings up a perfect segue to my next questions, which is, you know, most of these services are quote unquote free, uh, including by the way, ProtonMail, you uh, ProtonMail that, uh, has a free tier as well. So, you know, as I like to tell the people on the, you know, on the show, if the product is free, then you are the product, which is exactly alluding to what you just talked to, where it does cost money to do these things. So the way they make their money is off of your information instead of you paying them. So when, when is it okay to be free? What, how do I, you know, as, as I, cause I get this question all the time. So, you know, if, but Carrie, you said if it's free, then we shouldn't trust it. Well, that's not always true. <laughs> it, so there are ways to, to, to monetize things with, and still avoid the conflict of interest. How do you, how do you explain that to people when, when they ask you that question? Well, you know, if I was to be completely honest, uh, the free versions of Proton Mail and Proton VPN, uh, in fact, we don't make any money from that. Uh, and in fact, we lose a lot of money uh, from that. Um, and this is true for any you know, free product, right? If we were to try to make money off the free product, uh, that would require you know, invading users' privacy, selling their data, or you know, doing something of that sort. Uh, and because we don't do any of that, um, we do lose a lot of money um, on our free products. Uh, I think the difference uh, you know, between us and Google in this respect is that Google, being a publicly traded company, uh, you know, has a strong need to make profits. Um, whereas us, um, we're, I would say, you know, we're not happy, but, um, we're willing to take those losses because we see that, you know, providing a free alternative, uh, to the world, uh, to give privacy for free is something that we consider an essential part of our mission. Uh, so, you know, it's not that we don't want to make money, it's that we choose not to make money, um, on the free products. Uh, and fortunately, we have enough paid revenue, uh, to make that sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually what I, so that's usually what I tell people too, is, you know, do they, what's their profit model? Do they, do they have some legitimate way of making money that's not off of you? Uh, so usually in the tiered services, that's the way that works, right? There's a, there's a minimum tiered service that they often get away, give away for free. And then there are the pro services or the, the, the paid tiers where they actually do make their money. But the, the flip side of that though, and, and we saw this with like Verizon and AT&T is, uh, just because you pay the money doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to keep you secure or private. So I know this is kind of a deep question. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but you know, as a cynical com- consumer, how do I, how do I hope to evaluate these, com- these companies and know that, you know, even if I'm paying for it, that what they tell me is true. How do I, how do I figure out, you know, how do I compare these services and really know that this guy is telling me the truth or not, and not logging and not doing all these things where someone else isn't. Well, uh, it comes down to a couple of things, right? One is technology. Uh, so, for example, in ProtonMail, uh, the end-to-end encryption software that we use is completely open source. Uh, you can verify the encryption is happening on your device. Uh, so, in fact, even if you wanted to read your emails and mine it for data, uh, we don't technically have the ability to do that. Uh, so that provides you know, a pretty strong guarantee that we're not doing it because it's mathematically impossible, right? Um, then the other component you know, always comes down to, you know, do you trust the people, uh, you know, behind the service? Right. Because, you know, no matter how good the code is, uh, the code is written by people and you must trust the people. And this comes down to, you know, their backgrounds, um, you know, their competence, uh, and also, you know, uh, what they stand for. And, you know, if you dig into all the companies, 
it's very easy to find out, you know, what they actually stand for and, you know, kind of what is, uh, you know, their key drivers and their core values. Uh, and you have to make sure that that is something that aligns with, you know, what you want your service providers uh, to believe in. Yeah, and it's sad that it's sad that that's where we are today. But yes, that is where we are. Um, so I know one of the ways that you offer uh, people to pay uh, pay you, and some of the other services that are big into privacy and security are this way too, is Bitcoin. And I and I promise, <laughs> I've promised my listeners that I would someday do a whole show on Bitcoin. And we can't get into the, all the technical aspects now. But if if I wanted to say, all right, I'm going to give this a try, and you know what, I'm going to try this whole Bitcoin thing. How does just how does a layman who's never done this before figure out how to pay somebody pay you in Bitcoin? Well, you know, this is a complicated topic. <laughs> in fact, we have, a, we have an entire blog post uh, you know, on our site about you know, how to use Bitcoin and oh, how to pay with Bitcoin. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of where you have to take the kind of deeper, you know, kind of um, system. Uh, you know, a lot of people say Bitcoin is anonymous. Um, I think that's actually a bit, you know, too far. I would say Bitcoin is pseudo-anonymous mm. uh, in that, you know, it provides a bit more uh, security and privacy but not complete uh, security and privacy. And that's because uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you need to obtain Bitcoin you know, somehow, right? Uh, so that usually requires you setting up an account on an exchange and buying Bitcoin uh, you know, with money. Uh, so there is, in fact, you know, a connection to the real money system, and you do have that paper trail. Uh, what Bitcoin does is, is put an additional layer between you know, your money, you, and the service card that you buy it from. Because once you buy the Bitcoins from some exchange, you may go somewhere else, you know, to use a different service to, to then pay for the Bitcoin or use a different service to, you know, have your Bitcoin wallet. Uh, and this, you know, simply provides more layers of separation between the transaction that you ultimately do uh, and the uh, real world money that you originally deposited to get Bitcoin. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of how that works to provide a bit more privacy. Uh, but it's not fully anonymous. I, I would say it's uh, pseudo anonymous. Yeah, and that's a good point to make. I think a lot of people do kind of, you know, think of it as a Jason Bourne, you know, Edward Snowden, the way to, you know, totally fly under the radar. And it's really not as perfect as that. Uh, but speaking of those people, so, you know, what, you know, why do ever, why do regular everyday people need to worry about this? And with that, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Dr. Andy Yen from Proton Mail. Well, the out loud perspective awaits you in life, love, Politics, a healthy lifestyle, your faith, personal development, and living an out loud life on AmericaOutloud.com. Glitch your news and entertainment network where you can listen 24 7 on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. I know that, you know, as we're talking about this, it's uh, it's sounding probably esoteric to the average person. Like, you know, gosh, I, don't, I got nothing to hide. Why do I why do I care about this? Maybe a whistleblower or maybe a dissident in some repressive regime or maybe an investigative journalist might need this stuff. But why do I need this as a regular human? Why should I care about this? Why should I even bother to look into something like this service? Yeah. So you know, that's a very valid point. Right. And um, you know, a lot of people think, OK, you know, I have nothing to hide. I don't care about privacy, um, but that's not in fact true. Uh, you know, if you talk to these people that say they have nothing to hide, and you ask them, okay, um, will you share with me your email password? You know, will you give me access to your e-banking? Um, will you take the curtains off of your windows? Uh, you know, people are, are very unlikely to agree to that. Um, in fact, I never spoke to someone who said, okay, yeah, um, I'm fine giving you my passwords, right? <laughs> uh, so I think, uh, you know, kind of on a very human level, 
you know, it's uh, innate to being human to want some privacy. Uh, and, you know, this also applies not just to, you know, um, let's say, you know, windows and curtains, um, but also, you know, kind of our thoughts, um, our feelings, uh, and, you know, these intimate personal details uh, where we want to have, um, you know, privacy. Like, if you knew, for example, every single conversation you were having uh, via email with your significant other uh, was being stored in an NSA archive somewhere, uh, this would, in fact, fundamentally change the, you know, the content and what you're willing to express in those emails. Right. Uh, and, these, you know, the, the scary thing about this is that, you know, mass surveillance, uh, it actually impacts our behaviors in very, very subtle ways. So we don't even realize that, you know, we're changing the way that we behave. Um, but we are making each of this because we're aware that, you know, everything that we say and send these days is being recorded. And that's actually really, really a scary thing. Um, and if you think about, you know, this information and what it contains, uh, what it allows you to do, and what Google is actually doing today, is creating a highly detailed profile on every single individual in the world. Uh, so this includes things like, you know, your interests, who you like, who you don't like. Um, and in fact, this data can even predict your political affiliations, right? Uh, and if you can easily imagine how, you know, a government could take this data and, you know, really misuse it. And you see this today, uh, you know, in China, uh, where, for example, um, every single citizen uh, gets a, a report card and a score. And the score is based off of the data that they have, you know, um, pulled off the internet. And this is what they call the citizen reliability score, right? To see if you're a reliable citizen, as in, you know, do you tow the party line, right? Um, obviously, you know, here in the West, we haven't reached that, uh, you know, level yet. Uh, but this data really enables this type of mass surveillance police state. And we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we comfortable putting all this stuff out there? Uh, and uh, I think at the end of the day, this is not something that anybody should be comfortable with. Yeah, uh, that's well put. Um, and I know that uh, I often refer people to uh, the Glenn Greenwald TED Talk on privacy. You had a TED Talk on this as well, I believe. Um, and uh, yeah. yeah, in fact, in fact, uh, Glenn and I were actually at the same TED conference. Um, in fact, in the same session. Oh, really? So, uh, so uh, he spoke first about why privacy matters, and then <laughs> I spoke right after him about you know how we protect privacy in the digital age. So, um, in fact, the, the two talks go together very, very well, um, and they were intended to be you know together that way. Uh, and yeah, I, you know, um, if you look up on Google or, you know, any of the search engine, um, just, you know, why privacy matters, uh, there's a great talk by Glenn Greenwald and he makes, you know, all these points in a fantastic way. And I think it's, it's really something that, you know, needs to become part of our education system, in fact. I would, I would completely agree. And, and, uh, the other reason I like to give when people, uh, you know, when people say, well, why, you know, why do I pay for this stuff? I, I can get this free, th I can get this free service elsewhere. It's just as good. I don't care. But, you know, when when we start to realize what, how our governments, our corporations are encroaching on our privacy, you know, I think it's important, if nothing else, even if you don't think you personally need it to kind of make a statement, right, to make a social statement, a political statement um, and say, I back these guys. I don't like mass surveillance. And, you know, even if I don't think it necessarily applies to me, you know, the more people that kind of stand up and say this is important, the the, the more these kind of companies will flourish, the more other companies will be created. And, you know, maybe they'll maybe. You know, the message will finally get out that people finally do care about this stuff. And I, so that that's another reason I often give people to, you know, well, why should I pay for this stuff? Well, even if you're not going to, you know, even if you don't think you personally need it, I think it's important just to kind of make that statement. Yeah, it's really about kind of also, you know, competition in the, you know, marketplace, right? So, for example, um, you know, 
you may not uh, let, let's let's take a look at you know AT&T and T-Mobile for example right you know you may not use T-Mobile um, but the fact that T-Mobile is there um, is keeping the other providers in the marketplace you know more honest right right, uh, right. so um, you know today maybe you yourself personally don't have a need uh, for you know privacy um, but the fact that there is a privacy alternative that does exist um, this in fact adds value to society even if you don't in fact use it. Because someday you may decide that you do want that. Uh, and, you know, most recently, um, after the election last year, a lot of people uh, who, you know, were longtime Google supporters decided that, you know, maybe we do want some more privacy. Uh, and, you know, it was good that Proton was able to be there uh, and exist. Uh, but it does require a certain level of support for alternatives and competition to exist in the marketplace. And, you know, this is this is very fundamental, right? This is kind of um, how the free market works. Yep, exactly. Uh, so let me ask you a couple of detailed questions because these are the questions I often get from from people, um, and and I just want to uh, kind of dig into a couple of details so people understand what this means. Uh, so first of all, we're talking about secure email. First, what does that really mean, and what is secure the same thing as private? And how does how does it differ between the content of email and the metadata associated with that email? Yeah. So in terms of security versus privacy, my opinion on this is if you do security properly. Uh, you always get the privacy for free. Uh, and what this means is anything that is designed to be secure uh, will also, by virtue of its security, uh, be very private. Uh, and, you know, um, so the way that encrypted email or secure email, uh, in this case, uh, works is it encrypts you know, all your messages uh, so that the provider, in this case, Mail, or anybody else, uh, doesn't have the ability to read your contents of your messages. So this is the message body and the message attachments. Now, you know, email is still email in the sense that the email provider uh, must know who to deliver the message to, and they receive a message, uh, they need to know which inbox to put the message into. Uh, so that means, uh, you know, who you're communicating with uh, and who is writing to you. Uh, this is something that the provider uh, must know, and the provider must know this because they're the ones that are actually delivering the messages. Uh, so this sort of communication metadata um, is not protected, uh, you know, by, by, by encryption. Um, how it is protected in Photonmail's case is that it's protected by Swiss and EU privacy laws. Uh, because the you know the, because the business is based in Switzerland and the servers are in Switzerland, uh, you know this uh, metadata is not protected, of course, uh, by MAC, uh, but by Swiss privacy laws, which is among the strongest in the world. Which means that you have to have a very very valid reason uh, before the company can be forced to disclose the metadata. So right, so and that's a metadata only, right? So that you, if you even were forced to at, at gunpoint, you couldn't give up the contents of that email because if it's encrypted properly, you can't. There's nothing you can do about that. You can't. You can't. You don't have the key, so you can't. You can't encrypt it. The only thing you could give up, uh, if forced, would be the metadata, which is the to and the from, like the basically what's on the outside of the letter if you're sending the letter, right? Not the contents, but what's you know the to and the from. Yes, exactly. Um, and then that information, you know, uh, so in Switzerland. You don't have things like, you know, secret FISA courts and national security hmm. letters. Um, you, know, you, you know, everything needs to go through the court system. It needs to be properly approved by a judge. There needs to be a warrant. Um, and, you know, everybody is afforded the full due process um, even before the metadata uh, can be released. And the metadata, of course, um, you know, that's sensitive. Uh, but the real you know, valuable information, the contents, the contents of the messages, uh, you know, there's no way to compel us to release that. Because we simply cannot do it from a mathematical you know, standpoint. So the other question I get a lot is, uh, so 
let's say I'm a ProtonMail subscriber, but the person I'm emailing is a Gmail subscriber. What is that still secure? How does that work? It, do, do they have to be on the same service? What kind of security do I get if the person I'm talking to is not on the same service? Yes. So when you're sending an email uh, to someone at Gmail, um, you know there's two options, right? You can choose to encrypt a message, in which case you must send them the message description and password, or you can send it normally. And you can also receive messages normally. So you know, it's fully undroppable for Gmail and other email providers. Now, obviously, if someone is from Gmail sending you a message, well, uh, Gmail is going to have a copy you know, of that message. And there's really no way around that, uh, which is why you know, we really recommend that once you use ProtonMail, you know, get your friends and family to also use it. And then you can benefit from the automatic end-to-end encryption. Uh, but um, yeah, you know, this is a limitation of email because email means being able to talk to other people. And if other people uh, don't respect privacy or encryption, uh, then that can be a shortcoming. Now, ProtonMail, though, does offer some additional benefits, even if none of your contacts are using ProtonMail. Uh, and the benefit here is that actually we encrypt data um, also at rest. So that means, let's say, you know, somebody from Gmail or some other service uh, sends you a message. While it's true that Gmail may have a copy of that message, um, ProtonMail doesn't. So there isn't, you know, one place an adversary to go to get all your emails. Because if they come to ProtonMail and ask us, hey, I want to see the message that Gmail sent to this person, uh, we would say, sorry, we can't help you, because that's been now end-to-end encrypted. So how, how hard is that to set up? So if I wanted, you said that one of the options was, even if I was talking to somebody on not on ProtonMail, I could still encrypt the mail, and then we'd have to figure out the way, in, a, in you know the classic way to do this, the gold standard for years and years is PGP, or pretty good privacy. And you know that involved this whole public-private key thing, and you had to exchange keys. And uh, is that basically what we're talking about here, too? If I, wanted to, if I wanted to send an encrypted message to somebody not on ProtonMail, would I, is, is that... Is that do I use PGP? Does it built in somehow to Proton Mail? How, how would I do that if I wanted to send an encrypted message to somebody not on Proton Mail? Sure. Uh, so right now we're beginning to add more uh, interoperability to PGP. So pretty soon Proton Mail will be fully PGP compatible and will be part of this uh, system. You know, so the whole PGP ecosystem. Um, but in fact, uh, we think the most popular method is going to be our new encrypt outside system. And what this basically means is, you know, let's say you're sending an email to your doctor. Um, you can encrypt the email, put a password, and then you send the email to your doctor. And then you can use Signal or some other method to, sh- to share that password with him. And all he needs to do is enter in that password and he can read the message. And his email provider, you know, if it's Gmail, will not be able to read that. Uh, so this is basically, you know, the same concept of PGP, uh, but done, you know, in an easier way. So that instead of a key exchange, you're just exchanging you know, a password. And this is something that people can more easily understand. Gotcha. Okay, so this this sounds really complicated, and I'm sure my audience is already going, oh, geez. <laughs> this, I, I can never do all this stuff. I don't understand any of this encryption stuff. I, do, I don't get it. Why? I, I can't. I just throw up my hands. I just, I can't do this. But why why is it so hard why why is security so difficult why is this just not the default why because the onus always seems to be on the user somehow you know there's there's tools available but the user has to find those tools they have to coordinate with everybody they want to talk to to use the same tools they've you know they've got to learn about all these crazy you know pgp and public and private keys and all this stuff why this is uh, maybe you don't have the answer probably nobody has the answer to this question but in your opinion is it ever going to get better? Are we going to get to the point where it is just built in as the default and we didn't, average users don't have to think about or care about this stuff anymore? It just works? 
Well, you know, I think with ProtonMail, we've gotten pretty close to that already. Uh, so, for example, you know, let's say you and your, um, you know, your significant other want to communicate in a secure, private, encrypted way. Um, it's you don't have to understand what encryption key is. You don't have to know how encryption works. It's just a matter of signing up for an account, and you're you know already communicating with uh, you know end-to-end encryption. Uh, it's the same thing with WhatsApp. You know, WhatsApp now has end-to-end encryption built in, uh, and that means everybody that uses WhatsApp automatically has has end-to-end encryption. Uh, and you know whether it's WhatsApp or Proton Mail, um, the, implement- the implementations have gotten so good that you don't have to think about keys at all, right? When you use WhatsApp, you're not thinking to yourself, okay, um, post my private key, post my public key. You just use it and it just works. Uh, and, you know, basically, cultural mail is the same way. Uh, so I think technology um, has caught up to for encryption to go mainstream. And today, Proton mail has 5 million users around the world uh, because we have made it easier enough for grandmothers to use, right? So grandmothers <laughs> can and they do use Proton mail. Uh, and this is, you know, something that I think is one of our, you know, key accomplishments. Um, but, you know, going back to the, you know, the root question that you're asking, um, you know, there's always going to be a trade-off uh, between privacy and convenience. Anybody that tells you there isn't a trade-off is lying to you. Huh. Um, you know, you always have to give something up for, for more security, right? Uh, and there's no way around this fundamentally. Um, we can do what we can to simplify um, but there's always going to be that trade-off. And, but if you really think about it, that trade-off is probably better than the alternative, which is, um, let's sell our data and our privacy for ease of use, right? So, you know, would you rather spend a little bit more time, a bit more effort, um, to protect your data? Or would you rather, you know, just give it all up? Um, and if you look at the number of cyber attacks, the breaches, you know, the costs to society, um, from cybercrime, uh, I think within the next five or ten years, uh, the thinking in society on a whole will lean toward, you know, I think we're willing to give up a bit more convenience uh, for a bit more security. Uh, and this, of course, is probably to be the right path. Um, you know, we have to see what the future will hold. Um, but I think there's a combination of you know, privacy concerns and security concerns that is going to really push the world to go down that path. I hope you're right. <laughs> I, I, I still am baffled by the the cavalier attitude that most people have toward privacy these days. And I think we're just, you know, it, I, I would have thought that some of the news stories that came out about this would have, would have woken people up, but I, it, it's going to take more apparently. So, all right. So um, how about between, uh, there are other secure me- email providers as well, like uh, LavaBit or mailbox.org uh, privacy abroad. There are other services that have secure email services. Uh, and I know that, uh, I think you guys are open source, uh, which I talk a lot uh, about the show, and I, like Signal is open source. Is there is there any prayer that multiple services will be uh, compatible? Like uh, it, it, that someone from Proton Mail can send something to LavaBit and it just works, or that kind of thing? Well, uh, what it comes down to when it you know is uh, standards, right? Uh, so we follow, and we in fact are a very large part of uh, you know establishing, popularizing. Uh, and uh, commercializing the OpenPGP uh, standard. So we follow a standard that has been around for you know, at least a decade. Uh, it's uh, very well known. It's very well defined. Uh, there is a RFC that is available online. Uh, and um, from our standpoint, anybody that is OpenPGP uh, compliant uh, can be interoperable uh, with ProtonMail. Uh, and it's just a matter of whether or not people will adhere to the standard. And if people do uh, stick to the standards, uh, then there's no reason why, you know, they couldn't be interoperable with ProtonMail. Uh, what we see 
a lot is you know people um, who are doing encryption or security products. Uh, they're going out there and they're doing something very dangerous, which is called you know roll your, which is called a roll your own crypto. Right. Which is um, they're coming up with their own crypto systems, not following any established standards or established protocols. Um, and they say, okay, you know now I have a new encrypted uh, system. Uh, and you know, you, obviously that's kind of dangerous because there's a very high risk that you overlook something and you might build something that has a security flaw because you're not using something that is time tested and demonstrated to be secure. Um, but if everybody keeps building their own crypto, um, you end up with a bunch of systems that cannot communicate or work together with each other. Uh, and this is why you know we've made the decision uh, to stick with open standards, uh, to, to be open source, uh, and to promote you know. Um, OpenBGB standard as, in our minds, you know, the standard error for encrypted communications and encrypted email going into the future. Uh, and this is what we have done. Uh, and, of course, it's our hope that more people will follow us, uh, you know, down this path of using OpenBGB. I hope you're right. Um, so you, you mentioned earlier the fact that you were based in Switzerland. Um, and, you know, some of the reasons that is important that a lot of people may not understand is there, and maybe you could talk to this, there's there's this notion of the five eyes, uh, uh, which maybe you've heard of in spy novels, maybe not, but, uh, and then there, and then some other things, just some, some more public things like the G, uh, GDRP, which is the new European privacy standard. So why does it matter necessarily where, uh, you talked a little bit about the Swiss laws, which I understand. Are there other countries where it, it's okay to, you know, if I was going to pick an email service provider, Switzerland seems to be the one that pops up all the time. So maybe that's because Switzerland's got the best, uh, the best laws around this. But talk to me a little bit about other countries that, 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 that may host this and why it matters, you know, where, where the servers and where the services are located and, and help be, you know, whether or not they're part of the five eyes or that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah, so there's a concept of the five eyes. Um, and I think, you know, that's um, U.S., U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. Uh, so that basically means that, you know, it's a big surveillance network. So together with the NSA and, uh, you know, um, the different surveillance agencies of these countries, um, they're sharing data as part of the you know, logging network. Uh, in fact, there's another concept, which is the 14 eyes, uh, and that's nine additional countries, um, which are also participating in intelligence uh, and, you know, signals intelligence are sharing. So this includes countries also like, you know, Germany, France, Italy, a lot of other countries, you know, um, in the EU. Uh, and yeah, basically, if you're based in a 14i country, um, your data is probably accessible to the intelligence agencies of any of these, you know, 14i countries. Uh, so this would mean that, you know, your servers in Germany um, could, in fact, come under the surveillance of American intelligence uh, in the U.S. because we have this, you know, we have this intelligence sharing you know, agreement. Uh, so, you know, in our opinion, yes, we think it's pretty important to be outside of the 14 eyes. Uh, and this is why, you know, Switzerland is a good candidate for that. Um, another good candidate, which uh, we have been evaluating, uh, and in fact, we've already uh, deployed some servers there, is actually Iceland, because Iceland has some of the, you know, the most liberal, uh, you know, data privacy uh, and data security laws in the world. Hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, from our perspective, we find, uh, you know, Switzerland and Iceland uh, to be the two best countries uh, in the world right now uh, when it comes to security and privacy. Interesting. Uh, now, of course, you know, laws are always changing, right? Uh, the ecosystem is also changing, uh, and we have to constantly evaluate and you know, look. Uh, and a large, a large part of what we do is also lobbying, um, education, and communication with policymakers uh, to help shape policy you know, in a way uh, that 
ensures you know the fundamental human right of privacy remains protected even as we go on in the future, uh, and even as you know cyber attacks, terrorism, and etc. continue to increase. Gotcha. So does that does that slow my service down at all? The fact that you know, my emails are having to go all around all around the planet to go back and forth. Yeah. Like if I'm emailing my neighbor, it still has to go to Switzerland and back. Is that is that is that slowing my service down at all? Uh, well, definitely. Uh, but uh, the benefit here is that light travels very fast, <laughs> and uh, your emails travel at the speed of light, uh, which means that the additional you know hundred or two hundred milliseconds that it takes um, <laughs> probably you don't notice, right? Because if your email arrives one second later, uh, you probably don't care. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's why this can actually work out. Gotcha. All right. And just one more quick break before we finish our interview with, uh, Dr. Andy Yen. And, uh, after that, we'll have my tip of the week. You'll want to stay tuned for that for sure. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep, but it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Let the silent voices be heard. It's the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.com For a wide spectrum of programming from world and political news, societal and cultural stories, law enforcement, our military heroes, and much more. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. All right. So one of the reasons, actually, uh, I, I reached out to you is because I just saw an article about you coming out with a new service. Uh, for, well, actually, since we last talked, you've come up with a couple of new services. You've got a VPN service you're offering now, and then you've got a secure contact service. So why do I why do I need a secure address book? What is that about? And uh, talk, talk to me about that service. Yeah. Well, you know, um, contacts is actually uh, very very important, right? Because who you have in your contact book and their personal detail. Um, is quite sensitive. Now, uh, last year, we went to the second Asian investigative journalism conference uh, in Nepal, and we were able to kind of get, you know, FaceTime on the ground with a lot of our users uh, who are journalism, you know, who, who work in the journalism space. And one of the biggest concerns that kept coming up was, they said, look, we have a very, very hard time protecting our sources. Uh, and, you know, if you're doing investigative journalism uh, in Asia, in certain countries, uh, protecting your sources actually is a life and death situation. Uh, and it's really important to get that right. Um, so for example, you know, let's say um, you had a source and you had an address and a phone number for him, right? If the wrong sort of people got you know, that physical address or that phone number, uh, this guy could get disappeared, right? Uh, so encrypted contacts allows you to keep that information secure uh, because even we don't have it. So someone cannot, you know, come to us and force us to give it up. Um, if we get hacked, that information is also secure. 
Um, so, you know, this is why we have encrypted contacts now. Um, in addition to encrypting the contacts, we also do digital signature verification. Um, and so, you know, encrypting data is protecting data. Um, but what is also just as important, if not more important, is ensuring the data is authentic. Uh, so that's making sure that somebody didn't tamper with the data uh, to tweak it to be something else, right? Uh, and the digital signature verification means that not only you know, are you sure that your data is encrypted and private, but you're also sure that the data that you're seeing for this contact is in fact the right data and nobody has tampered with it. And that's really powerful. I can give you a practical example you know, of why this is important. Uh, let's say you know, you're saving in your contacts the phone number of a contact that you're speaking with about an article, right? Uh, you know, some expose about corruption. Um, if the security services were to go in and, you know, change that phone number in your address book, you may not notice. And then next time you call the person, uh, you could be calling, you know, <clears throat> the state security instead of mm-hmm. the contact. Uh, and, you know, these are little tricks that can happen and little risks that you're exposed to if you don't have the digital signature verification of the data. Uh, so this is why we introduced both the encryption uh, and also the, the verification of the digital signatures. All right, so we talked a little bit about other services that are like this as well, like ProtonMail, Lavabit, uh, Mailbox.org, some other uh, ones that are claiming to be uh, secure as well. What? Uh, obviously, I'm sure you're biased toward ProtonMail. How would you How would you compare yourself to some of these other services? Are they Are they just as good in different ways? I mean, obviously, I think I'm sure you you believe that you've got the better service. But it, what are, What are the salient differences between other ones? That if I'm looking for some of these other services, why would I pick uh, one over one over another? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a fair point uh, and a fair question. Um, so, I think you know, in the space there aren't really that many players. Um, what is uh, one of the key differences actually is uh, price. Uh, so, if you compare our paid offerings compared to other services out there, um, we on average charge anywhere between two to five times as much as the other services out there. Um, so, you know, we're definitely not what I would call the budget option. We're sort of like the Swiss option in that, you know, the Swiss services tend to be more premium and more expensive, and you're usually paying a bit extra, you know, to get Swiss service. Um, and it's the same sort of with uh, ProtonMail. And the reason for this is actually, you know, uh, uh, encryption is, I would say, just a tiny part of running a technical email uh, service. Uh, what is equally important to the encryption is actually, you know, the customer support, the reliability, um, and just the 24-7 operations, right? Because you need your email service provider to be up 24-7 of the day. Uh, you need it to be big enough so that it can survive cyber attacks. Uh, you need it to have enough people on staff so that there's always someone there that can, you know, monitor a 24-7 security center. Uh, so there's all these things that, you know, are part of doing an email service properly. Uh, and... You know, we have, I would say, invested more in the personnel in making sure that we have, you know, a big enough team uh, to be around in the long term. Uh, and this, of course, uh, makes things a lot more expensive because, you know, we're paying high-cost uh, Swiss labor, right? Uh, and one of the things that you'll find is that, yes, you know, ProtonMail is a lot more expensive than the other options out there. Uh, and uh, if you're on the budget, it may not be the option for you. Um, but, you know, this is a very important uh, you know, there's a very important reason that we do have these extra costs. Uh, and that's something that is a key differentiator between you know, um, the different services that are out there. 
And it's really, I, I mean, I'm actually a subscriber myself. I, don't, I guess I didn't think of it as super expensive. What, uh, just so my audience knows, give me an idea of what you mean by expensive. Like, what is if I wanted to, to get uh, buy a Proton Mail service for a year, what would that cost? Um, well, uh, it's you know, depending on which subscription you get, it's between three and uh, five dollars uh, per month. Uh, so you know, I guess um, that is you know. For me, uh, that doesn't seem very expensive. That's like you know one coffee per month, right? Right. Um, but uh, there are people out there who are trying to offer you know encrypted email uh, for as little as you know one dollar uh, per month, right? Uh, so compared to that, uh, it is more expensive. Um, but I would say you know with most things, uh, you're getting what you pay for, right? Um, right. And I think uh, there are differences there. Um, but yeah, we, we, we believe the costs are reasonable. Um, we do our best to, you know, bring the cost down, but you gotta keep in mind that as the largest encrypted email service out there, um, we are also subsidizing, you know, millions of free accounts, um, you know, for this revenue. Um, and this is why there is that additional cost, because the fact that there's free plans, um, actually means that paid plans must be more expensive to cover the cost of the free plans. Right. So if I, okay, so I so let's say I'm a member of the audience. I'm thinking, okay, this is this sounds interesting. Maybe I want to give this a try. Uh, do I have to, what do I need to do this? Do I do I need a special email client? Do I have to download a special app, or will this work with my regular, you know, my Apple Mail account or my Outlook account? Or you know, can I can I use my regular clients on my phone and on my desktop computer to use this service, or do I need something special? Sure. So on uh, Android and iOS, you have to download our application. Um, you know, the Proton Mail application, so you need to download software on Android and iOS. Um, on desktop, you can use it in the web browser, so it works as, as any other webmail. Um, or if you're a paid user, uh, you can also use it with you know, Outlook, uh, Thunderbird, Apple Mail, because um, it also works with standard desktop clients. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, the, the, the neat thing about this is that really there's very minimal changes to your regular email workflow in order to use ProtonMail and benefit from the security and privacy that we provide. Awesome. Great. All right. So uh, let's just wrap up. And, and uh, obviously, you've been in this space for a while. It's something you care dearly about. It's something you've done a lot of research on. So uh, just before we go, I'm just curious, if you wanted to talk to the audience, say, okay, if I want to kick my security and privacy up a notch, if I want to, you know, maybe let's let's take two levels. Maybe I want to just dabble in it and say, okay, I just want to play with this and see if I like this or not. Uh, what, 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 what are the, maybe the top three things you might recommend somebody do? And then if they want to kick it up a notch, maybe a couple more things. What, just in general, not necessarily just with email. Obviously, they could try ProtonMail with a free account. Um, but just in general, like if I, if I wanted to kind of take some steps to improve my overall security and privacy, what are, what are some of your top tips? Uh, well, uh, one thing that I recommend a lot to face people is you know, get yourself a good VPN service. Um, now, you know, it doesn't have now we have Proton VPN as our service, um, which you know there's reasons why I think Proton VPN is mm -hmm. better than other services. But even if it's not Proton VPN, you know I don't care what you sign up for, um, but get a VPN service. Uh, and the reason for this is, you know, people don't realize how vulnerable uh, you know their their network traffic actually is. Um, if you're in a public Wi-Fi hotspot, for example, and you're not using a VPN, um, everybody that is also on that hotspot uh, can basically see what you're transferring between your computer, you know, and the network. Uh, and you know now you have in the U.S. the things with you know, net neutrality. You have the new laws that allow you know wiretapping of network connections in the U.S. Uh, so you know that's a lot of data that's really at risk. Um, and we recommend just getting a VPN service because um, not only is it more security if you're on a compromised network, but it's also more privacy in that you know you can hide from your ISP um, and also from you know providers like uh, Google 
um, exactly who you are and where you are. And this prevents them from building those profiles you know, about you. Uh, so that's something that we recommend um, as clearly the first step. Um, and, you know, if you guys want to, people are interested, um, we do offer code on VPN. And you know what? It has a free plan also, right? It's, it's really the only free VPN out there um, that is not selling your data what's otherwise you know, compromising your privacy. Uh, so that's there. Um, then if you want to go up another notch from there, um, I would say, you know, a, a big thing is education. Uh, and that's really taking the time to, you know, understand the risks out there. Understanding a little bit about you know, uh, encryption, uh, understanding a bit about <clears throat> kind of the legal framework, and <clears throat> overall just getting a better understanding of what you're dealing with, right? Because uh, you know it's a complicated topic. It takes a lot of time to research, uh, and I think uh, society on a whole benefits uh, the more that people are aware and know about these things. Because uh, for us, the biggest challenge uh, is not only really technology. You know, we know how to build the stuff. Um, it really explains the world quite necessary. Uh, and that's something that we need to do as fast as possible. Because, uh, you know, as time goes on, um, the amount of data that we're putting online only increases. Uh, and it's a risk that people need to be aware of. And you can't do that without education. Well, I completely agree. And of course, that's why we're doing this whole podcast thing in the first place. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm obviously behind that 100%. Um, I've given out multiple recommendations to the audience of things they could check out. Of course, uh, I wrote a book on it. But do you, are there any websites or any books that, that you would recommend that people might check out that might be good for a layman to, to kind of get up to speed on these topics so they could talk intelligently about it and be informed consumers and be informed citizens? You know, there actually are not that many good uh, web resources out there for this. Uh, and the reason I think that is, is because, um, you know, a lot of the resources out there are written by people um, who may not be experts, uh, you know, um, in this area. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, I think it's actually um, quite tough to, uh, you know, get all the proper information here. Um, and this is something that uh, we're trying to change as well on our side because you know, we, we want to do more work to try to um, you know, probably educate the public on this. Uh, I would say you know, um, the EFF obviously maintains some information about the good services that are out there. Um, there's another site called uh, getprotected.io, so, um, which is also uh, pretty uh, decent. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, you know, as with any um, market, it's very hard to tell the real good products uh, from the ones which are bad. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, this is another reason why I think education is very important. Indeed. All right. Well, uh, Andy, thank you very much for coming back and talking to us about this. These topics just unfortunately get more and more important as the months go by, I swear. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's not likely to get better soon. So thank you for uh, educating us and taking us time to talk about your services. And uh, thanks for coming back. Another great interview with Dr. Andy Yen from Proton Mail. I want to thank him for coming back. That was some great info there about secure email and why it matters to all of us. Now, I have just a little bit of time left, but I want to give you a quick tip of the week, and it's a good one. It's about using a new service uh, called Quad9, and it's called Quad9 because the address is 9.9.9.9, four nines, Quad9. So what is Quad9? Quad9 is a new DNS or domain name service uh, 
service <laughs> from a consortium of concerned companies, a new nonprofit organization. Uh, and what their aim is, is we talked about this a little bit when we talked about web surfing. When you surf the web and you put in Amazon.com or Yahoo.com or any of these what we call domain names, when you put in domain names, what actually needs to happen is the, is the Internet needs to convert that to an actual numeric address, kind of like a street address. So when you put in Google.com, it goes first to this thing called a DNS or a domain name service where it converts Google.com into some sort of IP address, 1.2.3.4. You know, something like that, of course, is more complicated than that. Um, but uh, normally people just use the the DNS service that comes with their Internet service provider and it's set up automatically. You don't have to do anything uh, for it. But this new service, Quad9, is is trying to automatically block known malicious websites. And this is something that is not usually common with DNS service. So by changing your DNS service from whatever your default is to using Quad9, uh, it is going to automatically block you from accidentally going to wrong sites. Like maybe you mistyped uh, the site name and there's already a site out there that is waiting to trap you uh, because it, it's a common misspelling. Uh, or maybe it's a malicious website uh, that is that has been known to be trying to... Uh, serve you malicious software or things like that. Quad nine uh, is actively blocking these sites for you. And all you have to do is change your DNS service to use this quad nine service. And it's very easy to do. It's totally free. Uh, and it will automatically help to block you from going to the wrong site. So it's kind of hard to explain here, but I'm going to put a link in the show notes for you, or you can just search on quad nine and it'll take you right to their website. They've got two little videos there, one for Mac, one for windows that will tell you how to set it up. It's very easy. Again, it's very free. Uh, and it's just a no brainer. It's something easy to do. And for some reason, this doesn't work out. You can always change it back. So maybe write down what the, uh, what the information that is there before you replace it in case you want to change it back. Uh, but I, from what I'm hearing, this is a great service, and I doubt you'll ever want to change it again. So, again, Quad9 is a great service. Check that out and go to the website, uh, americaoutloud.com, and find this podcast, and you can find an article there. Uh, I will probably also post this on my blog as well. And we'll have to stop it there and come back next week for some more info. i got plenty more news to talk about, uh, so tune in next week. And I've got some other great interviews on the, coming up as well, so stay tuned for those. And until next week, stay safe and don't get caught with the drawbridge down.